This morning, it's about the joy of his arrival. But when you think about it, there wasn't a lot of joy about, was there? At the time of Jesus' arrival. The country was under occupation by Rome. And you think of all the humiliation and all the extra taxes and everything that brings. That wasn't joyful. And for the Jewish people, their own ruler, King Herod, uh, who wasn't really a Jew anyway, was a real despicable rogue. In fact, they didn't like their politicians, whether they were Romans or whether they were Jews. They just didn't like their politicians. How can that be? Anyway. But, but Mary didn't have a very easy pregnancy either. Misunderstandings from her family, misunderstandings in the community. There is no greater situation of shame for a young woman to have a child out of wedlock. Most women are excited about pregnancy and want to tell people, Mary, no, no, the opposite. She went away to see Elizabeth to get out the way because she didn't want to talk about it. Any joy that she, she felt expressed in the Magnificat was, was, was countered by a huge sense of uncertainty about the future. What would people think of her and of her son with no earthly father? And then, of course, Joseph, he had a pretty rough time too, didn't he? How do you cope with what he heard? Watch this clip uh, from the Nativity. It's brilliant. I had to see her to 
This is Mary's father. I know what you think of me. You said that this child wasn't Joseph's. Was that the truth? Yes. You're sure? He didn't pressure you into saying this? No. What I told you was the truth. What you have done is bad enough, but at least be honest about it instead of inventing a stupid story. It's not a story of everyone in the whole world. I thought you'd be the one person who'd believe me. The joy of his arrival. Now we know that for Joseph, the angel, the angel came to him immediately and said, "Carry on and get married to, to Mary." But do you think that made anything any easier? That made things worse. Joseph had wanted to walk away and minimize the embarrassment for him and for Mary. What was the future going to be now? And then, of course, there was a census. Oh no. A mess up for families, for communities, for businesses. Anger with the rulers, the politicians are, are getting involved again. We don't want this. And all the problem that solved. And then the journey to, to, to Bethlehem. Uh, 70 miles as the crow flies from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 80 miles on the rough track. Maybe 20 miles a day on the back of a donkey. Now, whether you've been pregnant or not, and whether you're not going to be pregnant, whether you're never going to be pregnant like me, you don't have to ask Stevie, do you? What a bundle of laughs that would be. What a terrible time. Eight and a half months pregnant. And then you arrive in, in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem, of course, is, is Joseph's family home. So he's got relatives there. He's got uncles and aunts and cousins and second cousins and third cousins and cousins a few times removed and all that sort of stuff. He's got the place is full of his relatives and no one will give him a bed. Not a room. Not a, not a room. Well, the family tension there must have been huge. No wonder he'd left and gone and lived in Nazareth. <laughs> yeah. And then the baby's born, and a baby being born, it's always a joy. It's a wonderful joy. But weeks, months later, they're told, 
go to Egypt. Egypt? Oh, joy of bliss. Different language, different customs, different culture. And Egypt wasn't their favourite place. You know, the Jews and Egypt had history, yeah? <laughs> it was. Dave and Stevie could be told in the middle of January or February, uh, Moscow, go to Moscow. Uh, as refugees. Oh, come on. The joy of his arrival? Amazing. And then, of course, after all this happened, King Herod decided to massacre all the young boys. Joy? The joy of his arrival? Now, all right, there were a few moments of happiness, I suppose. We talk about the joy of the shepherds, don't we? Well, do they really understand? I suggest the joy of the shepherds was the fact that they, get, that they could get off a windy, cold mountainside and just go into the town with the prospect of seeing a miracle, maybe. That, that broke the humdrum. That was joy. And the wise men, yeah, there was an academic sort of joy uh, for them. But the pervading emotion for the country, for the business, for community, for families, for the Jesus family, was the opposite of joy. It was desperation. It was fear. It was worry. It was sadness. It was anger. This was not a time of joy. But there were two people. There were two people who were overwhelmed with joy. Turn to Luke chapter 2, if you've got your Bible, and look on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, <coughs> who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And then just a few verses uh, further down. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after their marriage and then <coughs> was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day, night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon and Anna were very joyful and were excited about the arrival of Jesus. And we're going to think about who these joyful people were, what made these joyful people joyful, and what were they, how did this joy affect them. But before we do that, we need to put this thing in context. When all this happened, and why did it all this happen? And if we go back to a few verses further on in Luke, it says this. On the eighth day, that's the eighth day after Jesus had been born, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. 
when the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been com uh, completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, Joseph and Mary followed the regulations and traditions of the law of Moses exactly. So we need to just look back and see what the law of Moses actually said. So we turn back to Leviticus chapter 12 and we read these uh, fascinating verses. <clears throat> the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On the eighth day, the boy will be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified of her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. If she gives birth to a daughter, for two weeks, the woman will be unclean, as during her period. And then she must wait 66 days to be purified from her bleeding. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance uh, to the temple of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or dove for a sin offering. He will then offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves and two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and one for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her, and she will be clean. So that gives the context. Now, from that we understand, first of all, that Mary and Joseph were poor because they didn't bring a lamb. They bought a couple of small birds, all right. Secondly, Jesus was uh, circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, and Mary's purification was completed 33 days after that. So it's probably what we're reading about with Simeon probably happened about 40 days. Jesus was about 40 days old when this happened. Now, why a woman took twice as long to be purified after giving birth to a daughter than she did to a son, I don't know. Don't ask me. I haven't a clue, and nobody else seems to know either. But it was very common in the cultures of that time. So let's get back to our three questions. <clears throat> and the first one is, who were these joyful people? Who were these joyful people? What sort of people experienced this joy. If we know what sort of people they are, <clears throat> maybe it could help us to experience the joy of Christ's coming again uh, this Christmas. Now, I'm tempted to say, of course, they were old people, uh, but, but we'll, we'll pass over that uh, and move on quickly. But they were people of good character. Simeon is described as being righteous. Righteous and devout, right? Righteous. <clears throat> that means he kept the law. He respected the authorities of his day. He did what a citizen was supposed to do. The law keepers would have been proud of him. Anna was a prophetess. Prophets and prophetesses were people who heard from God. Not necessarily about the future, but anything that really God wanted to say, to communicate to people. Sometimes to a king, sometimes to leaders, sometimes to ordinary people. And she was old, 84 years old, to be precise. She'd been married when she was probably a late teenager, maybe. Her husband died after seven years, and she'd been widow ever since. 
So she'd not had an easy life, right? It was a hard life. And we're told all that basically just to make the point that she was a person of good character through very difficult circumstances. I, there's an example to us there, I think. Whether you're old or whether young, you are probably more likely to show joy in the things of God if you're a person of good character. But, but um, secondly, <coughs> they were godly people. We read that Simeon was devout. He was committed to spiritual disciplines. Now, we know something about spiritual disciplines because we've talked about them in this church uh, recently. And then, and then Anna, we're told specifically, was committed to worship. Day and night, we're told. She never stopped. She was always worshipping the Lord. And we're told that she prayed and she fasted. It's very specific there, isn't it? So both these people were committed in their faith and in their devotion to the Lord. They were godly, joyful people. And then thirdly, they were Holy Spirit people. Simeon, we're told, the Holy Spirit was with him. Now this is before Pentecost, of course. So the Holy Spirit was with him as a direct gift from God. Not all the believers at, those, at that time received the Spirit. That happened after Pentecost. And he heard from the Holy Spirit too. That's what it says. That the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not die until something rather special happened. Right? And we're told even more than that. We're told that he went into the temple prompted by the Holy Spirit. He was a Holy Spirit person. I wish I heard from the Holy Spirit more. I wish I did more at the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Being a Holy Spirit person contributes to a joyful lifestyle. But then also they were expectant people. Simeon had been told he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon was expectant because God had spoken to him by the Spirit. And then, as far as Anna is concerned, she seemed to be friends with an expectant group of people. She was part of a group of people who were expectant. They were a per person group of people, all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That's a group of expectant people, and she was part of it. Are you an expectant person? Are you part of an expectant group of people? The more I hear about Christians from around the world, and the more I meet people from those churches around the world, the more I recognise the difference between us and them is to do with expectancy. They are expectant. And generally speaking, we're not. They are not surprised when God answers prayers. We tend to be. They're not surprised when God blesses them. And we are. You see, expectancy is closely linked with hope, isn't it? 
Hope is a way of life from which joy develops. If we want to be people of joy like Simeon and Anna, then it would not be bad to aim to be people of good character. Godly people, Holy Spirit people, and expectant people. But what made these joyful people joyful? What was the focus of their joy? In a world where there was not much to be joyful about, there really wasn't. What was the basis of their joy? Well, Simon put, Simeon puts it very clearly, isn't he? Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people Israel. They were expectant because of God's salvation. God's salvation. They were joyful because of God's salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. And at Christmas we can say again, can't we, our eyes have seen your salvation. Not physically as Simeon did, but in other ways. And it made Simeon joyful. And it can make us joyful too. But our understanding of salvation <coughs> Uh, has been limited and curtailed and reduced and minimised so much. When I was quite young, I remember being told, and I remember a story um, of a young guy, he was a teenager, he'd just become a Christian, and he was all out for God, and he was passionate about God, and he wanted to tell everybody about God, and he was, he was really on it. And he got on a train one day, and on this train, <coughs> there was a bishop. Now, this is way back in the time when bishops were not really biblical faith type people, but... But anyway, he met this, this bishop in his, in his robes and he was so worked up, he went to this bishop and he said, Bishop, are you saved? And the bishop looked over his glasses and he said, Young man, he said, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Now, I don't know where that was a very good answer to a teenage guy, but it was good theology it was good theology. We have been saved from before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells. Now, it's difficult to us, us to understand all that because it's outside time and we're so limited by time. But yes, we have been saved. We are being saved now as we grow in grace and are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, as it says in 2 Corinthians. And we will be saved when we finally get to glory. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. But it's interesting that Simeon says in this, that we read about Simeon, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, consolation is needed by people who need to be consoled. Yeah? Okay? Now, who do you normally console? We normally talk about people consoling people who are bereaved. Yes? Is it their fault that they've been bereaved? No, of course it isn't. But they need consoling. So, so salvation is much wider than we think of it. We do need to be saved from our personal sin. Yes, 
We do, very much. But we also need to be saved from the problems and difficulties that we face because other people have sinned. And we also need to be saved because of the sad circumstances that we face because we live in a fallen and damaged world. We need to be saved in all those ways. And that's what the salvation that Jesus brought is all about. Simeon and Anna were filled with joy because of God's salvation, which they'd seen in the person of Jesus. Have you witnessed God's salvation in your life? Maybe this Christmas, you need to understand that salvation in a broader, wider, deeper, mightier way. And if you do, it will fill you with joy at what that really means. It's not just about your sin, although it is about that. It's not just about that. But they were also joyful because of God's strategy. It was prepared in the sight of all people, uh, Simeon says. <coughs> the preparation and the presentation of this salvation was not done in a corner. It was done in the sight of all people. It's not a backhanded thing. It's not under, under a cover. It's not an undercover trick. Now, we often think, don't we, wouldn't it be good if God did something dramatic? Uh, well, God did something. Let's do something to make people believe. You know, a few more miracles here. The odd spate of a few more healings. You know. And Simeon says, no, no. God has done all that. He's done as much as he could possibly do. He's done it in the sight of all people. In Romans 1, verse 20, we read this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men and women are without excuse. God could not do any more. Uh, so, so what's the problem? The problem is, 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's not a problem that God's kept it all undercover. No, he's made it, open. He's made it clear in the sight of all people. And salvation was brought to this culmination in the Middle East, where three great continents meet, Europe, Asia, and Africa. That's the center, that was the center of the world, and in many ways it still is, the center of the world, of the population. And it happened at a time when the Roman Empire was such a movement of people and transport and, and language and communication, it was so much easier then than it had been any time before. God's strategy. Simeon and Anna saw this baby as a result of God's perfect strategy, and it brought them joy. But they were also joyful because of God's inclusiveness. Simeon goes on and talks about a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Now, Simeon was a Jewish man, all right? An old Jewish man who lived in Jerusalem. So he knew more about Judaism 
than many people because he was right at the centre of everything that happened. Now remember, there's no Google in those days, no Google at all. You knew it because you were there and you heard it and you saw it, right? That's what you knew. And Simeon was right at the centre. He was at the information centre, the religious centre, the political centre, the nationalistic centre, the centre of protests against the Roman occupation. He was, he was at the Google centre of all that was Jewish, yes? He was right there. And yet, he says, he was waiting for a light for revelation to the Gentiles. What a guy. What a guy. And that contributed to his great joy. Everyone who's ever lived is either a Jew or a Gentile. God's salvation is for everyone, past, present, and future. And salvation is for a world. We're very conscious of the world in, in some ways. The BBC is not very good at world news and all that sort of thing. But, but we, you know, the week before last, we had a, an earthquake in Albania, didn't we? Did you see the links of that? Did you, did, it appear to, did, you, did you start to think about, God loves those people. God wants to save those people in Albania. Just this last week, we've had NATO meetings in Watford. <laughs> Disruption of traffic, you've probably been caught up in that. It's been a struggle, it's been a real pain, hasn't it? But did you ever think during that time, as you saw that, or thought about it, or sat in a traffic jam, or whatever, did you ever think, yeah, these people, this is part, it represents part of the world that God came to save. These people represented in Watford. These nations who were represented by people in Watford, the French people, the German people, the Belgian people, Canadians, the Italians, the Luxembourg, yes, even the Americans. Wow. Amazing. The fact that God's salvation is to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles gave Simeon joy. But it's not only that inclusiveness of it, it's also... God's specificness. Now, maybe specificness is not a word, but I've just, uh, I've just uh, 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 made it up. Because I don't know whether Anna was recognised recognize the inclusiveness of God's salvation, but she was aware of the specificness of it. She was talking about the redemption of Jerusalem. And in fact, Simeon also talks about the glory of your people Israel. Now, I don't think when Anna talked about Jerusalem here, she was talking about the place. She was more talking about what Jerusalem stood for. Jerusalem was the centre of the whole of the Jewish way of life because the temple was there. It was the centre. Everything focused on the temple. The te that was the place where God was. And she was aware that Israel had to be saved not just from Roman political interference and occupation, but Israel had to be redeemed. Are there places on your heart, specific places that need to be redeemed? Now, you may think that the whole entire Western capitalist system needs to be redeemed. Yeah, maybe you do. Uh, maybe you think that as we approach a general election, the whole of our political system needs to be redeemed. Yes, but are there special places that God has put on your heart? Maybe, maybe Watford. Maybe a part of Watford. 
maybe Hollywell, maybe where you live in Watford. God is concerned for the place, the situation, the family, the area that you are concerned in. And that should give you joy. Redemption for that situation. God is concerned. So then, what made these joyful people joyful? God's salvation, God's strategy, God's inclusiveness, and God's specificness. And how did this joy affect them? How did this joy affect them? Well, back to Simeon again. <coughs> it affected him, it gave him contentment. Now dismiss your servant in peace. Dismiss your servant in peace. Simeon's joyfulness brought him a contentment. Contentment while he was waiting for all those years. Contentment because he was an expectant person. And contentment now as he was able to hold physically the baby that represented God's salvation for the world. Contentment is important quality that we all need to seek after. Paul, of course, the Apostle Paul, was a great go-getter. Uh, he had lots of energy, he had lots of ideas, there was an urgency, he wanted to win the world, and he was out there. But he says this in, in Philippians, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Are you content? In our world today, with rising suicide rates and growing mental health statistics, Contentment is in short supply. Simeon was a contented person. He was contented because of the sort of person he was, yeah, but also because of the salvation that he had waited for and he now held in his arms as he looked into the eyes of the baby Jesus. And this Christmas, you could experience for the first time, all for a fresh time, a joy that needs to contentment. The story of salvation can do that for you. What about Anna? How did the joy affect Anna? Well, we read... <clears throat> she gave thanks to God and she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Isn't she a lovely lady? Anna shared the good news about Jesus with all who were willing to listen. She didn't hang back a bit, right? All those who were looking for something different. All those who were fed up with the way things were and realised that life and the world in Jerusalem was not how it should be. All those people, anyone who would listen, 
Anna was up there and tell you about Jesus. I've seen Jesus. He is the Messiah. All this. this little old lady, little old lady Anna, who'd had a really hard life and who'd probably had a very lonely life as a widow, yeah? Who had probably been coping with the limitations of her age for quite a while at 84. This little old lady, she was a radiant, raving, 84-year-old evangelist. A radiant, raving, 84-year evangelist. So what's your excuse? So what's your excuse? Are you going to tell people about Jesus this Christmas? What's your excuse? Who were these joyful people? They were people of good character. They were godly people. They were Holy Spirit people and they were expectant people. What made them joyful? God's salvation, God's strategy, God's inclusiveness and God's specificness. And how did this joy affect them? For, for Simeon, it made him contented. Are you contented? For Anna, she told, told everybody about Jesus. Now, a final thought before we finish, because you may have noticed <coughs> that there are a few verses in this passage which I've overlooked, and, and you can't do that with Scripture. You can't overlook a bit. We've talked about joy. We've talked about real joy. We've talked about joy that makes a difference. But that's not necessarily happiness. <coughs> These are the verses we left out. And Simeon blessed them and said to, to Mary, his mother, <coughs> this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. <coughs> You see, joy is costly. Happiness can be cheap. But joy is often costly. And the joy that we're talking about, about uh, this Christmas was costly to God. Wasn't it? It was costly to Joseph and Mary. Hugely costly to Joseph and Mary at the time of Christmas and <laughs> later as well. And it's likely to be costly to you and me as well. The joy of his arrival. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lovely story of Simeon and Anna. Father, we're drawn to them as people because they didn't have it easy. They lived in a world where there was not much joy about. 
and for that matter, so do we in some ways. Yet they were joyful people and they bubbled over with joy when they saw the baby Jesus. Father, we ask that you'll make us like Simeon and Anna. May this Christmas be a special time for each of us. Help us to remember again the wonder of the Christmas story and what it and that it reminds us of God's love for us. May it make us contented people, sure of our faith, confident in our position as sons and daughters of the living God, contented with who you've made us to be and ready to accept with joy anything that you send our way. May we also be, this Christmas, those who follow the example of this little 84-year-old lady who spoke about the child to all who were looking for redemption in Jerusalem. We ask these things, that this light of, of, of revelation will spread to Jews and Gentiles across our world. Make us your joyful disciples, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.